Welcome to our 68th episode of Two Tankers and a Cat. We're your hosts. I'm Charlie. And this is Russell. Well, today we've got two points that we're going to talk about, and it's kind of a little-known tank. It's called the 40M Nimrod, and it was a Hungarian tank destroyer, anti-aircraft gun, uh, and a very good anti-personnel gun. (laughs) Uh, What's our second point, Russell? Yeah, the second point will be the 1st Hungarian Cavalry Division facing the Soviet Operation Migration uh, Breakthrough. Uh, That's right. I've read a little bit about this. Apparently, the 1st Hungarian Cavalry was not really like a heavy tank division. Uh, (laughs) And they had these little 40M Nimrods, and the Soviets had broke through. And the Soviets were like, okay, you know, we're, we're making our big push, and the Germans are like, here, stop these guys. <laughs> and they're like, wait, wait a minute, they got KV-1 tanks and <laughs> T-34s and oh, T-34-85s. I, th- I think I saw a few Shermans, maybe a Lee. <laughs> <laughs> and we can't pin any of them. So. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you might notice a little bit difference on our sound today. Uh, so today I'm in Kansas City, Missouri, and Russell is in Labette County, Kansas, roughly about 300 miles apart, and we're using a new online podcast recording product. But what's the name of that product, Russ? Uh, Squadcast is the name of the product that we're actually using today. Like I said, we're going to start using this because I'm going to be moving, uh, well, I'm not technically moving, I'm uh, selling my sticks and bricks house here in Pittsburgh, <laughs> and then I'm going to do the van life thing. Russell, are you familiar with this van life stuff? Uh, you've told me a little bit, yeah. Well, my daughter, you know, lives up around Washington, D.C., and the rent up there is like $2,000 for a studio. Well, in the month of July, she was actually, you know, she's a flight attendant. She was actually in D.C. only four days, and she ended wow. up paying two grand for an apartment or a studio, uh, and that's not internet, you know, water, electricity, gas, all that other stuff. Yeah. And uh, she's just like, you know what? I'm just going to move into a van. And, of course, you know, as her father, I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> you know, my daughter's living in a van down by the river eating government cheese. <laughs> but, no, she she got a really nice uh, Ram Pro Master or something like that. And it's got, like, wooden decks. I mean, you've seen pictures of it, haven't you, Russell? Yeah, yeah, I saw the pictures, yeah. Yeah, I mean, nice it's looking. really nice. You know, yeah. it's got showers and bathrooms. and So I said, you know what? You know, now that I'm retired, I'm just going to grab my laptop, and I'm just going to go visit tank museums all over the United States. Yeah. Until, you know, Russell gets done, and then I'm going to beg, beg and Russell just to come out with me and go look at all this stuff. Oh, and, I'm uh, ready. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because... Uh, we were talking about last episode that you were going to get a few more guys on, and then you messaged me, what, last week and said that you're looking at maybe losing five more? Yeah, it's it's crazy. I'm telling you, nobody wants to do this type of job anymore. And I don't know. I mean, and anymore, people are expecting high pay, and and that's really not what law enforcement's all about, to be honest with you, just to 
let folks out there know. I mean, I've pretty much had low pay all my life, and uh, and that's not the reason why I got into it, to be honest. I mean, it's, I don't know. I just don't understand what's going on today in the United States uh, with everything. And I'll tell you how far it's back. It's different. I'll tell you how far back in my law enforcement career I go. The first uh, sheriff's department that I wanted to apply for, yeah. they made you buy your own patrol car. Wow. Um, now, they added more to your pay. It was a separate check. Yeah. Uh, but the county didn't want to buy police cars. You know, they would take care of your oil changes and your tires and whatever else. But Man. but you had to actually go out and buy your patrol car and you know the max i think it was paying back then was like 300 bucks for a car payment yeah yeah wow (laughs) so there was a local car dealer that said yeah i can get you a four-year deal on a used crown vic and we're like oh that's ridiculous (laughs) you know you got to buy your own gun yeah that's crazy you had to buy your own rubber hose i'm kidding i'm kidding Uh (laughs) No, I think you started well before I did because I I did have to buy my own gun, but uh, they did provide the the patrol cars for us to use. And but yeah, I do remember that I think my first job was started out at just probably about minimum wage, about seven dollars and fifty cents an hour back right. in the early mid nineties. And so compared to what I'm making now, that wasn't much at all back then. So I that's why I'm not complaining too much about pay. I mean, it's I don't know. But I, that, that they claim that's why we're not able to keep the people and other surrounding departments are paying a lot more. And But, yeah, it's it's a lot different right now. So I'm having to work even more now since everybody's quitting. And I think if it keeps up the way we're going now, we'll be lucky to even have a police department in the next six to eight months. Um, I apologize. This is a brand new mic, and it's really sensitive. And I, I can tell that I'm picking up car noises and motorcycle noises out, out on the street right behind us. Cut some of this out. Yeah, some somewhat maybe. Some of the background noise, but we'll get him upgraded here before long. And <laughs> It's literally a, a $25 <laughs> mic that we just got at Walmart. We were we trying to set te- this up. Yeah, we had some technical issues setting it up. Charlie oh. was trying to use his headset, and it was bleeding through, so we had to do something different. But, yep, we'll get him there and... Get all the stuff ironed out and put it all behind us. Well, we've sat around and chatted for a few minutes on just, you know, the state of things. Yeah. Um, Let's go ahead and jump in on this uh, 40M Nimrod, Russ. Tell us about it. Yeah, the 40M Nimrod was a World War II Hungarian self-propelled anti-aircraft gun based on a license-built copy of the Swedish Landsberg L-62 Anti-2 SPAAG, but with a new turret. Now, what's a SPAAG? Yeah, self-propelled anti-aircraft gun. Okay. But the uh, 40M Nimrod, it had a new turret, and it was developed independently. Uh, Originally, it was intended to be used both in the anti-aircraft and tank destroyer roles, but it proved to be ineffective against Soviet tanks like the KV-1. Therefore, it was primarily utilized against lightly armored vehicles and for air defense. However, the Nimrod proved to be an excellent self-propelled anti-aircraft weapon and was very effective in the fire support of its own infantry units. It was a real Hungarian Flakpanzer of World War II. Now, when I was researching this a little bit, people are like, wait a minute, an anti-aircraft gun that was in fire support of its infantry? Yeah. Uh, let's say you had some guys stuck in a, a building, you know, and they're hiding in there. 
they'd roll this thing up and just start unloading inside and turning everybody to mush. I remember reading on the Flak Panzer One tank destroyers that were shooting rounds at the KV-1, and it it was useless, you know. And now you're talking about the Hungarians having a similar, you know, 40-millimeter, you know, gun going up against these KV-1s, and they couldn't pin this thing. But one good HE round from a KV would turn the Nimrod's crew to, like, mush. Uh, but this thing against soft tar- targets would be pretty devastating. Yeah, sounds like it. The 40M Nimrod differed on its own from the original L-62 anti-aircraft design, while the chassis was basically the same as the L-62, although utilizing parts from the 30M Toldy. The turret was modified to house one more crew member from the original five of the L-62. The crew of the 40M Nimrod consisted of six men, a commander, a driver, two loaders, and two gunners. The vehicle's armament consisted of a single 40mm anti-aircraft gun, a Hungarian-licensed-built 40mm Bofors L-60 with a rate of fire of 120 rounds per minute. The gun fired the usual ammunition of the 40mm Bofors, which included the proximity fuse, the impact fuse, and armor piercing, as well as a Hungarian-dedicated anti-tank round. It had a penetration of 46mm at 100 meters and 30 millimeters at 1,000 meters. The Nimrod carried 640 rounds, split into four stowages of 160 rounds each. Late in the war, the vehicle was issued with a 42M Kern grenade round. This was a rocket grenade fitted over the muzzle in the fashion of a rifle grenade. You know, you're talking about 30 millimeters of penetration at, what, 1,000 meters, and uh, the T-34 would you know, uh, would bounce that. It would be totally useless against, you know, your more modern, at that time, Soviet tanks. You know, like the KV-1 would just sit there and laugh at it. <laughs> uh, you know, and it will. I'll tell you this, Russell. How would you like to be the guy that had to step out with that 42M Kern grenade round and, and get on top of the tank oh, wow. to, to load up this grenade? Wow. In front, you know, stepping out... You know, Man. no cover, you know, not hiding in, you know, using the turret for protection. Just step out with a grenade, yeah. a live grenade round. And that must have been the newest guy's job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the guy they hated. The 40M Nimrod was manufactured by the Manfred Weiss Works, a first batch of 46 vehicles powered by a German L8V slash 36TR engine was followed by another batch of 89 vehicles powered by a Hungarian GANS IP VGT-107 Type 2. <laughs> so we got German engines, Swedish frames, and uh, that totally 38 parts. <laughs> Man. Yeah, uh, you know, quite a tank, yeah. And if we learned anything, parts are important. So Oh, know, yeah. I don't know. Getting parts all over Europe to keep your thing running <laughs> would be a good idea, but... Although it was originally intended for anti-tank use, in 1943, the 40M Nimrod was reclassified for anti-aircraft use, as it was unable to penetrate the armor of the tanks in use by the Red Army. It was probably pretty effective against, you know, like the early Soviet tanks, and uh, but even for the airplanes, you know, that's one 40-millimeter gun, uh, it would probably be really effective against like their biplanes and their 
and their scout planes. But against Soviet tank killer airplanes, uh, like that uh, II, what what is that called? The, the Aleutian. Aleutian. Yeah. yeah, the Aleutian. Number two, uh, we need to do an episode on that tank killer. You know, yeah. we've, we've, we've done the uh, Junkers, or yeah. Junkers, but uh, we haven't done that one, and that was quite the tank killer. Uh, but for now, Russ, tell us how these Nimrods were deployed. A total of 135 Nimrods were built, most of which were deployed by the 51st and 52nd Armored Autocannon Battalions of the 1st and 2nd Hungarian Armored Cavalry Divisions, respectively. Uh, Nimrod batteries attached to armored and motorized battalions were allocated six vehicles each. A platoon consisted of two vehicles. The Hungarian 1st Cavalry Division had seven Nimrod anti-aircraft tanks total. And we're going to be talking about that Hungarian 1st uh, Cavalry Division. And uh, But, you know, we're, we're talking about seven. Uh, I mean, think about those guys. There's seven different, you know, uh, these uh, Nimrods. And they're like, okay, the whole Soviet air power is coming after you. Um, <laughs> you, you shoot them down. Yeah. These poor guys had to be what the hell? Where do you start? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just Man. point up and start shooting. <laughs> well, Russell, give us the stats on this thing. The Nimrods had a mass of 10.5 ton, had a length of 5.32 meters or 17 foot 5 inches, had a width of 2.31 meters or 7 foot 7 inches, had a height of 2.8 meters or 9 foot 2 inches, and like we talked about earlier, had a crew of six. The armor was 6 to 13 millimeters on the hull, 28 millimeters on the turret, and it had a main armament of the 40 millimeter Bofors, uh, slash 60, and aircraft gun. Yeah, the engine consisted of the V8 EST-107, eight-cylinder gasoline water-cooled engine that cranked out about 150 horsepower. The operational range was 300 kilometers or 180 miles, and it had a maximum speed of 50 kilometers per hour or 31 miles per hour. I'm kind of sad um, they didn't have a second backup machine gun. Um, I always remember the Battle of Kursk where the Germans sent those big elephant tank destroyers and uh, with no machine guns to keep the infantry from running up on it. Uh, if these guys saw infantry, uh, they had to use personal weapons. For this thing to be this tall and cooking across rough ground at 31 miles per hour, and these guys are trying to stand up or you know, steady themselves, you know, around the gun. Good Lord, that'd be rough. We read the book um, by the author Attila Bonhart, which was entitled The 40M Nimrod Tank Destroyer and Armored Anti-Aircraft Gun. We all suggest that you folks out there give it a read. It's a pretty in-depth history of the Nimrod, and you can actually buy the book on Amazon.com. But yeah, it, it's definitely well worth the read. See, here we are again trying to you know, get you, the listener, to crack a book again and study upon this amazing history. And I'm telling you, as soon as Russ was done with this book uh, by this Attila, how do you say, say his name again? Attila, Attila Bonhart? It's a good book. Yeah. And, and you can get it right there on Amazon. In fact, you can get the used copies pretty cheap. Yeah, that's true. Like I said, we just, people are going to figure out eventually that we're using two tankers and a cat to make people get into this history yeah oh i know yeah that's that's what it's all about folks i mean it's because we are just barely touching on on some of this stuff that we talk about i mean you're not getting the full 
full in depth, and like we said, the full in depth history of of these tanks we're talking about. Unless you go out there and and we cra- usually post, crack a book, yeah, crack a book. But we usually put a you know just a minor picture. But if you go look at some of the pictures of this forty M Nimrod, you're going to go. Uh, I think I'd just rather be in the infantry. <laughs> this thing, this thing is just waiting to get shot. Yeah, death trap. Yep. Well, I guess that brings us to our second point, Russell. Uh, why don't you go ahead with that? Yes, the Hungarian First Cavalry Division facing the Soviet Operation Bagration breakthrough this is our second point today. In April 1944, the Hungarian First Cavalry Division was mobilized after pressure from the Germans. Admiral Horthy. Hungarian regent and head of state had wanted to keep this elite division for the defense of Hungary. The division was mobilized and put through intensive training during April and May and finally moved to the border between June 10th and 18th of 1944. Unlike previous Hungarian mobile units, the 1st Cavalry Division's armored battalion was entirely equipped with Hungarian manufactured tanks. They left Hungary with 84 tanks which consisted of 62 Tiron 1 and 22 Tiron 2 tanks, and also 23 Cassaba armored cars and 7 Nimrod and aircraft tanks. It was to be deployed on the left wing of the Hungarian 1st Army, with promises from the Germans that it would not be used away from the rest of the Hungarian forces. However, the Germans reneged on this on their promise, and the division was almost immediately moved to the Pripyat marshes. What? The, the Germans in World War II reneged on a promise? I'm sure I'm sure Neville Chamberlain was shocked by this revelation. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, here's a good thing that, the, you know, the Hungarians actually equipped it, you know, and made it an elite division. The Germans like, oh, no, no, no. You know, the Soviets aren't coming. Everything will be fine. You, they'll be used to protect your border if they get close. And all of a sudden... <laughs> The breakthrough happens, and they're like, ah, well, we're going to take these guys. Uh, why don't you go ahead and give us a little bit more information on that? Though it was assigned on paper to the Hungarian 2nd Reserve Corps, a rear area security unit. In actuality, it was, it was attached to the German 1 Cavalry Corps. Initially, it took part in anti-partisan operations along the rail lines in the area. But on June 26, the success of Soviet Operation Bagration saw them move to the front. Basically, the partisans are, you know, attacking the rail lines, you know, so they don't get any shipping in and out. And, uh, you know, they're out there trying to stop these partisans. And then the Soviets have this breakthrough and they're like, um, yeah, let's let's grab this unit. (laughs) But, yeah, go ahead, Russell. The Soviets had burst through the front line of Army Group Center and the Germans were assembling all available reserve units to plug the massive gap the Red Army had smashed through their lines. The Hungarian cavalry marched 150 kilometers east. By June 30th, Slutsk had fallen, and the division was diverted north through wooded terrain. On July 3rd, they arrived in the combat zone to face four different Soviet tank units. They were immediately thrown into action, despite promises by the Germans to Horthy that the cavalry wouldn't be used against Soviet tanks. During the rush to the front, the division's second-in-command, Major General Istvan McKay, was killed when his truck hit a mine, making him the highest-ranking Hungarian officer killed in action during the war. When I was researching this, and I I know you were uh, researching it too, we couldn't tell if it was a 
friendly mind or a, you know, a Soviet planted mind. And the only thing I could think of is they were still behind their lines. You know, wow. the Soviets hadn't got that far. So I think they hit one of their own mines. Oh man. You know, that's a bummer like, really. Yeah. That would be a crappy way to go. Yeah. Friendly fire always sucked. Wow. This cavalry unit went up against four different Soviet tank units. And like I always say, we don't support either government. Uh, We just recognize the machines and the men that stood for what they thought was right. Great episode, Russ. I'm just thinking, you know, this is a cavalry unit going up against modern Soviet tanks. Well, four different Soviet tank units, and they had to duke it out. And uh, like I said, if you're really interested in how the battle went and stuff, uh, definitely, like we always say, Russ, crack a book. Well, Russ, that's a great episode. And uh, I know you've been researching stuff uh, on the new landmines, and we're going to talk about uh, the future. What's the episode that you like to do at the end of the show? What are we calling that? Yeah, Tanks in the News. I know we kind of skipped that the last time, but we'll get back into that on this episode. Well, I know people, uh, we've had a couple of messages from people, you know, wanting to comment about, you know, uh, I think it was yesterday the Chinese flew aircraft into Taiwan airspace and, and, you know, the deal with Taiwan and that the Russian government and the Ukrainian government are kind of looking like they might have problems. Yeah, very much so. And and if these conflicts do kick off, it's going to be tank involved. Yeah, yeah, it will be. And, you know, we're talking about thousands of miles of going just thousands of miles i guess yeah of going from the united states to somewhere else to fight and you know packing up our tanks and moving them so i think this episode that you're going to be talking about this new landmine uh, this is kind of interesting go ahead it's, it's an article that i run across in military times um, dated september 16th of 2021 and it's titled the uh, don't call it a landmine Uh, Soldiers test a suitcase-sized tank killer. Um, This is all in the United States. Be the United States military that's that's designing this. Now, Todd Todd Smith is the guy that did the article, right? Yeah, Todd South. Todd South. Yeah, Todd South is his name. Very very interesting stuff. I'll kind of go through a little bit of it here to kind of explain on what this suitcase-sized tank killer is all about. They're calling it the XM-204. After recent testings, the soldiers are one step closer to having a suitcase-sized solution for small dismounted units to fend off a tank advance. Soldiers and researchers concluded some early tests at the Yuma Proving Grounds in Arizona on the XM-204 interim wide area top attack munition in early September of 2021. The call came for such a weapon out of the U.S. Army Europe. The XM-204 is part of a family of new generation terrain-shaping obstacles that can target and deter tanks or other tracked vehicles, and some of its features are derived from the XM-1100 Scorpion system. In 2020, the Army actually put out a press release about this new XM-204, and they claim in the press release that after a hand emplacement of the obstacles, you hightail it far outside the munitions' effective range, while leaving reconnaissance elements to maintain watch over the obstacles. Several hours later, your overwatch element confirms that multiple XM-204 top attack munition systems 
launch their submunitions that effectively engage enemy vehicles. So you're not just putting one of these tank killers down. You're probably putting several down at a time, probably in the path of your oncoming enemy tank. So basically what you're saying is this new XM-204 top tank tank killing landmine is that our satellites are picking up a platoon or a division of tanks trying to push through a certain area and we don't have uh, tank killing capability or you know tanks or yeah it, even artillery to cover and stop this tank advance that our guys could go out there set up these suitcase you know looking landmines and then they have you know our scouts do overwatch you know with their sniper rifles and 50 cows to make sure nobody's in front trying to disable them. Yeah. That these tanks are racing to smash the American or allied uh, lines and they run in to these XM-204s that are ready and waiting. Uh, tell us more about that. The XM-204s can actually hear tracked vehicles and feel them coming. And when it does feel and hear them, it uses a mechanism that starts tracking the enemy vehicles. When the threat-tracked vehicle is a certain distance away, the XM-204 will shoot a submunition into the air to fire the warhead down at the target within its zone of authority. People build tanks where the front has the most, or, you know, the sides are most armored. The least armored is on top. So this thing is feeling using motion sensors in the ground to track a vehicle and, and a sound tracking. And when it gets in with its range, it just pops this munition above the tank and then this warhead strikes the top of the tank, killing it. Give some more info. This is pretty cool. The suitcase-sized tank killer comes with an indicator to show whether or not it is armed and a self-destruct switch with time settings to avoid one of the downsides of landmines which is a deadly threat that sits dormant for decades, creating hazards far beyond the battle that can kill and injure civilians. So they can actually destruct these things once they've set them out. Don't have to worry about it anymore. Unlike a landmine that can sit there for years and years. And Yeah, because they're still, you know, going through uh, finding landmines from, you know, World War II. Yeah. To have this have a, a set time limit and say, okay, uh, these tanks should be attacking the next you know, four hours. If it goes past five hours or the unit doing the overwatch has to leave, they can shut all these down and it won't hurt any of the civilians walking around or driving a tractor through. Yeah, that's incredible. The design of the suitcase tank killer actually allows the soldiers to pick up the box more easily when they're actually fully kitted up. And to evaluate this new weapon, testers drove main battle tanks and infantry fighting vehicles across the test track at different speeds. So that way that the, they could test the algorithms within the computer system uh, when to deploy the munitions at the exact right time. Uh, they didn't use actual munitions. I'm pretty sure from what I read that uh, they used cameras in place of that that took a snapshot of the target vehicle at the, at the point of deployment. They were driving these tanks and armored vehicles around and the sensors would pick them up and it'd actually pop something up in the air but it was a camera instead of a warhead so they would take a picture of top of the fighting vehicle and yeah if they if you if you get a picture on top of it you know you've just killed it you know 
the technology is just getting so wild. It is. And we, we don't hope for war. No, I'm, I'm hoping no. that Russia and Ukraine can work out their difference, and Taiwan and China can work out their difference, and we can do all this peacefully. But, you know, you know, let's say you got a Russian tank division coming across the Ukrainian border. These, these suitcase landmines would be great. Yeah. You know, our, our satellites would pick them up and say, oh, there they are. Yeah. And they would deploy these things right in front of them. And if they stopped and said, hey, we want to work on peace and everything, they can remotely shut these things down so they don't explode and they're not a threat. This is this is cool. This is great know. technology. Okay, Russ, so that brings us to our shout-outs, and uh, then we get to our Patreon. Um, Shout-out wise, we released uh, that episode, and it was just, we got so many messages, we can't give everybody a shout-out. But uh, we're almost to 200 subscribers on YouTube, and that's that's amazing. I know, I know. And uh, I really need to put out some more videos and and make some more videos and stuff to to put but, on there. And I think that would help help that out a lot more too. Yeah, we need to. You know, it's just time. It's just time. Just the shoutouts is to all you guys. Um, oh, we should give. Tony's wife in New Zealand, oh, a special yeah, shout-out. Yeah. And, of course, Craig Moore's at a, a Tank Fest in Bovington right now. Yeah, yeah, he's there. At the time of this recording. I only messaged him one thing. <laughs> get, get me World of Tank bonus codes for North America. <laughs> he didn't answer me back. He just kind of shook his head like, <laughs> you need a new hobby. <laughs> and once we get this new Squadcast platform figured out, um, we can do interviews, too, which is going to be real nice. So that ought to be coming up. Everybody needs to look forward to that. Yeah, I'm if anybody's got that. anybody they want to hear from on interviews, uh, let us know. Well, I know we promised Craig Moore the first oh, interview. Oh, I know, I know. We will but, get there. Yeah, but I want to get uh, some of the streamers like uh, Sophie, Rita Gamer. Yeah, and then I want to get Rob. Yeah. Uh, down there rob's done some amazing stuff we oh, need to put a link wow. to rob i know he's moved all the tiger i mean he's fixing the tiger tank yeah. down there finally yeah if, if not everybody's following all that on facebook we can probably we have put links a link to that. yeah yeah it's it's incredible it'll be changed a lot by the time we get down there the next time to to look at all that i'm just looking forward to seeing the before and after on the tiger tank god bless rob for you know trying to save this history incredible what about patreon shout outs who do we got this time yeah we want to shout out to jake azaki he's still with us and kim and eric uh sheer yeah of course razbad 18 who else we got still got antonio bernarda thank you antonio i know we've been hearing a lot out of you here lately and and glad that you're staying with us and Pretty neat to have followers like that. Still got Alejandro Martinez. He's still with us. Bjorn Ben. What a guy. ODS Theron. And my favorite, good old Rick Schmidt. Rick Schmidt, man. Yeah. I, I need to platoon with him in World of Tanks soon. <laughs> These are the guys that are helping us out with the equipment. Yes. Um, I In fact, I couldn't even went and got this new mic if it hadn't have been. Yeah. For Patreon. Yeah. Uh, and now that we're separating and everything else yeah. and... We've got all this new software and um, this Squadcast. You know, that's additional expenses. Oh, it is, yeah. It makes the cost of producing the podcast go up that much further. So, yeah, it's it's so nice you, to have the monetary backing like all you folks out there has been giving us. It's very, very much appreciated. And, and like I said, you can get down to like the $2 a month yeah. uh, 
stuff. We did, yeah, every little bit helps. Oh, it does. It Big really time. does. Yes, and we do plan on putting more content on our Patreon Patreon oh, yeah. site. I mean, that's. But yeah. once again, I've got to have time to do that, and it's it's time consuming. But we will get there. I promise. Excellent. But um, yeah, Russ, just a great episode, and uh, I hope. You know, your guys stick around and you finally get some more time so we can do some more stuff. Maybe go do some more video. This is Charlie. And this is Russell. As always, happy tanking and have a great week.